Hey everyone, how's it going? It's Charlie Morgan and welcome back to another video. So I was just interviewed by a really good friend of mine called Ibrahim um, for his podcast and he's actually very kindly offered to share the content with me so I can post it on my YouTube channel. So what you're about to see is a one and a half hour interview um, between me and Ibrahim where we talk about everything. Um, now it's a weird dynamic because I'm posting this on my YouTube channel but it's an interview of me. So it seems like this weird ego play, I promise it's not, but basically we talk about so much stuff you're going to love it. Lots of little gems, mainly around mindset. So if you're struggling to sort of get the work done, be consistent, stay disciplined, and basically do what you know needs to be done to grow the business, this will help you. Um, if you feel like you sort of go through ups and downs where like one minute you're on top of the world, really like really confident, the next minute you've got all this doubt and you can't get out of bed to do the work, watch this in full, take notes, it will massively help you. I get quite emotional throughout this. Um, there's some points of vulnerability where you'll see me see it on my face, I get quite upset. We're talking about mindset, it's really deep shit. I hope you find it useful. And and um, I'll see you in the next video. Take care. I don't want to be a big black hole, basically. <laughs> That's the title for this podcast sorted. It was the most painful thing I've done and cried for hours on. I think vulnerability is strength in disguise. Eyes when you're having fun, mate. Beautiful. Welcome back to another episode of Conscious Entrepreneur. We've got Charlie Morgan on today the man needs no intro if you're in the marketing space if you're in the online space but he i'm gonna do a quick intro for you man you can tell me if this is right or wrong go for it mate because we, we've done one of these before man we did it a while ago i think i think i had like a couple of thousand subs last time we did it if i'm not mistaken I, I, that's the first thing i want to jump into because it's been sick to see your personal brand growth but yeah i know you obviously built a seven-figure marketing agency in the gym space you know, moved out of that, sold clients, and now you're purely focused from what I understand in the sort of coaching, consulting space, helping other agency owners grow their businesses. You've nailed it, mate. Chef's kiss of introductions. There we go. We're there. <laughs> Charlie's link to his YouTube channel will be below here. It's fire. There we go. We got. We we have to get the plug straight in there. Um, but let let's start, dude. So last time we spoke, I think you're at like like you said, a couple thousand subs on YouTube. Now you've probably like ten x that, which in this space means means something you know if you're a, if you're a mr beast youtuber maybe not so much in comparison but in this yeah. space you can do a lot with that and we were just talking about um you know looking at these big channels and how much you probably make per subscriber and like the actual revenue stream coming in from it T talk to me about that man how's uh how's how's youtube what have you learned from youtube how's it been as a as an income source so I think the first the first mistake people make when they look at YouTube is they they look at it and they think oh what how much money can I make from YouTube ads, and like that's the primary source of like drive is like oh like YouTube's going to show ads like my AdSense is probably like two grand a month or something it's not it's not crazy, um, but the appointments we get from it, it are just it, it's ridiculous um, and so you know to give everyone context and to be like fully transparent with numbers and stuff so we're currently doing about a hundred thousand pounds a week. Um, which is about $500,000 per month. And that's like, I would argue that 75% of our traffic and appointments comes from the YouTube channel. So it's by far like the the the, the point with the most leverage in the business at the moment. Um, and it's been like a relentless focus of mine for probably about two years. I started in, I think my first video was March of 2021. So it quite literally is exactly 24 months since I started. And dude, like I've just been doing like three videos a week for like 18 months. And like that was quite painful for the first 12 months <laughs> because like, you know, you're getting like, you know, a couple of hundred views, you're getting no appointments. Um, but what, what happened and we had this sort of really big exponential spike where we went from like, I think we went from like 3,000 or 4,000 subs to like 15,000. 
Now the growth is linear again. And that's one thing I'm learning with YouTube is you have to keep your head because exponential explosive growth becomes very addictive. And what starts to happen is you go, we went through this phase where we quite literally just tripled our sub count from like 5K to 15K. And then you start thinking, right, now I get Iman Gadji style growth. I'll be at a million subs by the end of the year. Um, and now what's happened is we're, we're sort of back to just linear growth, like adding 100 subs a day or whatever, which is still pretty decent. But what happens if you're not careful is you go through that growth and then you get addicted to it and then you start making videos that you don't want to make for the algorithm. And so the secret to the success that I've had with YouTube or, or minimal success in contrast to some other people, I've got a lot to learn, is the consistency of it, three videos a week. But that consistency is near impossible to maintain if you're not making videos you want to make. So you've got this sort of like decision with YouTube, like do I sell my soul to the algorithm and make those videos that I know people will click, but I don't want to make? Or do I make videos that actually mean something to me and then my audience will connect with me it, I think the relationship I have with my audience is very deep because I make so many videos and so many impressions. We could probably achieve the same growth with one video a week, but our strategy is basically three a week because then you're serving so many impressions to people and you build so much familiarity and trust. And I think that's why we get so many appointments and why we can literally make 400 grand a month with a 20K audience. Um, it's just because people just, I keep popping up like you can't get rid of me i'm like a rash or something but like one that you want to a degree so not that you want a rash but you get the point i love it man yeah so what what was it that what do you think made you go from five to 15 when you had that exponential spike yeah. it wasn't like it wasn't anything in particular it was just like a whole year of work um you know i made this video um called like you know how to like have the best offers for SMMA. And I followed that with a couple of really good videos. And I think the offer one got like nearly 50K views and then a couple others got like 20K views. Did a few collabs and stuff. But I think that there wasn't just like one big video that got super viral, like hundreds of thousands of views or anything. I think it was just like, I, my philosophy with YouTube is you build a relationship with the algorithm. And it's it's very one-sided relationship for about a year. <laughs> where you're giving everything to the algorithm and the algorithm doesn't give you much. But after a while, you, you build enough of this like value. And there's a quote, um, you, you're probably familiar with it, Benjamin Graham about investing, where it says, in the short term, the market is a voting machine. In the long term, it's a weighing machine. Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, Sam Walton, all these guys, they, they, they like sort of know how that works. But I see the YouTube's algorithm and YouTube's audience in the same way, where like in the short term, like a year or two, YouTube is all about a voting system. Who can clickbait the most people? Who can get the most views? People explode out of nowhere and they don't last. And that's happened quite a lot. But in the long term, it's a weighing machine. And so you're voted on your popularity, but you're weighed on your value. So if you produce value for five years, your channel has this weight to it and the algorithm cannot deny the weight. And so that's why all you've got to do is just make really good content very frequently and not worry about being popular or having this sort of, you know, because I was making YouTube videos and, you know, they wouldn't do very well. But I knew I was like, this is actually valuable content. And if I just do that, I will be weighed in the long term. And so, like, that's that's how I look at YouTube channels is I don't look at the subscribers. You, you look past that and you look at the weight of the value the channel provides. And if that's high frequency, high value consistently, it only takes a couple of years for you to really start to sort of experience that that level of growth. Um, so that's sort of how I've been looking at YouTube. And a lot of people, 
they struggle because they don't get a huge amount of views instantly and you know they they panic and they worry but yeah that's, that's sort of how i look at it at the moment yeah yeah man i mean if and if you're doing you know 400 grand a month and if you attribute maybe three quarters of that to youtube you know let's say you're making 300 grand per month from 20k subs on youtube I mean, I think you've probably gone about it the right way. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, there's there's an element of that. I mean, the, the problem we, we've had pretty consistently for a while is we have, and this is this sounds like I'm being some sort of egomaniac, but we had too many appointments. So we used to, we, we've got the capacity and, and the teams and the infrastructures to do 400 grand a month organically with outbound, right? Um, and, we, and we were sort of on that trajectory where we were booking like all these appointments, but like I've got appointment setters and stuff and like people who do cold emails using our systems, and we have to say to them, like, hey, can you just stop for, like, two weeks? And I hate doing that because their income is dependent on, you know, and they're good friends of mine. Their income is dependent on the, on, the, on, the, on the appointments. So the problem we've had is managing the scale. Um, so we've got five sales reps, six sales reps right now. And it's a question, like, sometimes we'll have, like, they'll all be fully booked. And then we'll hire, like, another rep. And then that's, like, there's not enough volume to support that rep. It's, it's, that's the problem we have is managing it. But the, the strategy that we've deployed from, from day one was just, like, value it extremely high frequency over a long time and it seems to have worked <laughs> you know i i didn't know i didn't think it would work this well this quickly um but but it seems to be pretty effective because i know you've been producing like content with this podcast and everything as well um and it just takes time and then before you know it like whoosh it just curves upwards and then it levels off and it's painful but you have to keep going yeah, I, I think for me, I like I'm, I'm my I don't even know what my channel's at. It's like under three thousand subs, right? But it was um the the intention for me was always like to actually make stuff that I genuinely just thought was the real stuff that's going to be valuable to people, you know. And I've I've just got I've gone it that way. We have like a structure and a schedule and stuff like that. But I just know like over the long term, it it's an extension of of you, right? Yeah. And so it's like that's the way I look at it. That's what I would want to put my best foot forward on. And like you say, you can. I don't think there's anything wrong with going for views. I actually think that's a great strategy for a lot of people. Um, it's just not the strategy that I chose to do. Um, but if you were going to go f to try and just get just get views and you were like, all I want to do is get people to watch this video, what would you do differently? Well, you'd make videos that don't truly help people. Because this is ironic, right? So I'll give you an example of videos that don't really help people, like shiny object videos. Like this is my email script, right? Now that might seem valuable, but the fact that tr people who... Uh, intelligent truly understand and like yourself for example that the value comes from how did he create the email script like how did he come up with that as an idea it's less about copying and pasting so those are like shiny object syndrome videos i know for example if i made a video tomorrow saying like here's my exact cold call script right it could pr probably get you know 10 30 000 views whatever but that it, i could make that video but it wouldn't it tailors towards people who are looking for that sort of quick fix in their business where they're like, I just need a cold calling script and the whole thing will be fine. Those videos and the other ones that I'd never touch are exposed videos, right? Where I made a video um, comically on Thomas Gannett, like exposing Thomas Gannett, but it was actually me just complimenting him for 15 minutes. But what I'd never make is like um, this person lied or, you know, this don't buy this person's course. Like those videos, like I know if I made like a... Um, why Mangaji is a liar, right? I actually quite like the guy, I respect him. But if I made a video like that, of course it's going to get attention and views. But my 
I want to make videos that stand the test of time that that cannot be disputed and that you know you're you watch it and you think do you know what I've left that video with a little bit more intelligence and understanding on what I need to do to get to my goal than I had before I watched it and that's how I feel to like all of my content and the video the ideas I make is like if someone watches this video will they leave a little bit closer towards their goal if, if I can do that every time that is the only thing that matters but when I'm making videos like you know like oh I'm exposing this person or like steal this shiny object people leave but they, they leave with an, a further understanding of the drama of the space or like you know something they can copy and paste that might work for a week and then stops working so I think it's um you you have this moral responsibility where I could optimize for you know pure views and subscribers and everything but once again that that's tailoring towards the voting machine it's like I don't want to be popular I don't want to blow up I want to add value to a specific type of person and add so much value to them that they feel naturally obliged to reciprocate through booking an appointment or, or buying easy grow for example I think the other secret that we've had and this is a big one that people mess up on is I have had one call to action and one funnel throughout every single video that I've ever made so we only sell one thing we have one product one offer one funnel and what that means is like every single video I make has the same call to action and the thing about people is they will act on what is familiar. So if I've got like, here's my Instagram, right? Um, you can also do, I've got another YouTube channel here. I have this free course. You can start a free trial, trial on Go High Level here. You can also click this if you want this. Like I just, I just basically have this sort of like, go to this p website if you want more clients. And in videos, I won't pitch it. I'll just say, look, you can click the first link in the description if you want more clients. I don't care if you click it or not. There's no 997 course. There's no webinar just go and watch the video. I don't care. Just do it if you want to. That's that's the sort of the way that I introduce it because truly that's how I want it to come across. But by having the same call to action and the same funnel over and over and over, it's like Chinese water torture. <laughs> You're going to click it if you see it like 10 times. So that's 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 another reason we've got such a high volume is we've got you know 250 videos, 300 videos, whatever, on the platform. They all point to the same direction. So even if you're getting videos that you made a year ago that get 10 views a month maybe one person will click and if you've got hundreds of those then you've got all of these appointments coming in from from age so that's that's the strategy and it, it, it seems to be working really well for us i love it love it man it's clean and and it's good it's good to see you like implementing these things and you know because it's like it's like the like the best practices essentially right which i think a lot of people know they should be doing but then for whatever for whatever mental warfare or you know trauma from trying something else some other time you know leads you to not doing it so i think it's great to see you actually like doing it over a long period of time i think yeah it's just like it's just like have one thing it's like because i could i could have a go high level affiliate link and probably make an extra like 20 30 grand a month but like the main thing for me is like getting people to invest in easy grow that's the the, the product and like that's the whole that's the, the youtube thing is optimized for that it's just like, what do we, what's the goal? The goal is to get to eight figures with one product. That's, that's what like 10 million a year profit with one product. That's like our entire um, objective right now. All my attention and focus is on that. Like just 10 million a year profit with one product. So like when I'm making these decisions on like, what could I put in my YouTube description? It's like, I could add a go high level link or we could start doing free courses or something. But what's the goal? It's like the goal, 10 million a year, one product. And so when you have that sort of like, when you have a statement that you can centralize all of your decisions around, not only in business, but personal, 
decision making becomes really clean and the whole business becomes clean and the whole team knows what's going on so yeah i think like multiple ctas i mean we've got the facebook group which then funnels into the thing so technically there are two call to actions but mostly it's the funnel so seems to be working man dude when you uh when you launched easy grow i watched your i watched the video it was like one of the best freaking sales videos ever by the way i loved (laughs) loved how i loved how you opened it dude i was taking notes man i wanted to say so something you said was it it was like the most painful thing you've ever done was building building easy grow Mm. why was that yeah so so just to give people context so easy grow is the product we sell um which basically helps people systemize client acquisition um i don't want to it's not a plug just that's what it is um the whole goal is to make client acquisition easy for people so i mean we'll touch on the sales video first the reason that sales video was so i I made that in one shot so i had that sort of google doc i didn't think through what i was going to say there was no there was no plan or intent in terms of like i'm going to put this cognitive bias in here and then i'm going to introduce this tactic it was just very organic which is why i think it did so well um the reason that was so easy to make is because i had so much bloody confidence (laughs) in the product because i knew how good it was so so easy grow basically took me nine months to build from start to finish um and it's basically the reason it was so painful i have a a big problem um ibrahim where i things have to be perfect if it's client facing it has to be perfect (laughs) so i could have built easy grow in two or three months um but what i have this problem when i'm creating content for for the program where and not so much for youtube because like i'm a bit more willing to sort of be you know free with that but if i want to like explain a point i have to get to the bottom of it so i'll give you an example right so i made this module called acquisition genesis right and acquisition genesis is basically like an eight or nine part video series that explains my paradigm for client acquisition and we're talking like you know two to three hour long videos that explain systems thinking natural selection and like darwinism um psychology in a horrific amount of detail i'll explain more on that in a second and and all this stuff like metrics like just the whole charlie morgan brain like in pdfs like how do i see client acquisition the hardest part about making all of the modules was the thinking behind like i understand this but how do i articulate that to someone who doesn't understand it and so acquisition genesis alone i think that took me like three months to make that was the big thing right it was it's probably about i I calculated it for every hour of training for acquisition genesis i put 30 hours in and people look at that and they're like how like how does it take you like that long just to put training together but it was the thinking so like let's say for example i want to teach um how i would use something like natural selection to explain how to find the right variables well to, to, to understand that you need to understand genetics to understand that you need to understand all these other things and so like it was going back like to find the first principles that was the hardest thing and like figuring out how do I layer all these videos because everything's interrelated as, as you know it's all interconnected so how do you deliver it in like a cohesive manner that makes sense that doesn't confuse people um and access and genesis I'd, I'd argue is the, the best work I've ever completed and that was why it was so hard because the outbound systems I can teach someone how to create a YouTube channel because it's very it's very um physical it's like right here's how i think about thumbnails here's how i think about titles here's how i come up with ideation because it's a system right i i I run the system every day so i can just show people this is the system i use and then that's the product but with acquisition genesis and also self-transcendence which is our mindset module those were the two ones that they they took the (laughs) they took the biscuit from me because it was like 
it was the thinking primarily. And it was first principling things out. And then like, you know, you might mention one thing in this video, but then you have to be careful that like, do, do, can they understand that thing if you haven't made a point in a previous video? So it was creating this like interlacement or this web of ideas and then structuring them in a way where it's like, if you want to teach like maths, for example, you have to teach like decimal points before you teach fractions or whatever sort of analogy you want to use. But to understand decimal points, you need to understand whole numbers and prime numbers. And then you need to understand addition and all the way back to the bottom. So it was, it was, a, it was hell to make. Um, but I was very fortunate to be supported by my team who and my, my business partner, Bo, who basically ran the show whilst I just locked myself in a room for three months. <laughs> but other than that, like the, the recording, I mean, anyone who's made a course will know that it's, it's painful. Anyone that's made a really good course will know that it's like hell, but it, it, it messed me up, man. It really messed me up for a while. Like burned me out multiple times. I'm sure you've had sort of things like that before. Yeah, man. No, I, I feel that. I feel that. Um, well, like it must be, it must feel good just to like have it out there now. Like how, how's it going, dude? Since, since launching it, it's, it's been, I don't know, maybe a month or something. How's it, how's it going? So good. Um, the most rewarding thing is like seeing clients get wins so quickly. Um, so we're in school now and we've got like the wins channel. And I think like we have this sort of like post category for wins. And I think we've got nearly a hundred and we've only been live for like less than a month. Um, it's like, yeah, it feels, it feels really good. People seem to really like it. Um, but I've, I've got this sort of like, whenever all the products I've made in the past, especially with the old one, like once it's built, I've sort of, I like scratching for the next thing. Like, how do we add more to this? Like, how do we keep improving it? And we did a masterclass with David Dre yesterday, for example, but yeah, I'm comfortable with it and I'm really happy with how it's turned out but I'm also terrified it's not good enough. <laughs> and that's just, I've just accepted that's like a dichotomy that I've just got to manage for the rest of my life. Um, Cause no matter what, everything I produce, no matter what, how good it is right now, in a couple of years, it might really suck. So yeah, that's, I'm sort of balancing that. But in, in February, we had our best month. Um, we know we did a hundred clients. So a lot of people come on board on payment plans. Um, so the the, the, pro, the program is 9,600. So in February, we technically signed 960 grand in business. Now that's lifetime value. So we're not going to count that as cash because it's half that essentially. It's what we're making right now. But if we can keep doing February over and over again, we will hit the goal of 10 million a year profit, um, you know, with one product. So it was the main thing, but now it's done, mate. I'm, I'm a happy man. <laughs> I'm a happy man. What what's next for you now? It's now it's done. Just ch chill, make some YouTube videos. Yeah. So I mean, this is the problem that we're facing now. Is like, what do we do next? Because like, we there's things that we need to maintain, right? So like team standards. Um, although we've got a really great guy called Jack, basically running the sales team. We've got Nor, our operations manager, who basically is like a godsend. He just takes care of everything for us. So Bo and I, we're in this unique position now where we don't really know what to work on. Um, and that's a very, very new problem <laughs> where it's quite unsettling because, you know, you go from doing 12 hours a day for nine months straight and basically sacrificing everything to now having all this free time, but wanting to work. It's like, what do you do? So we're thinking like, do we start a mastermind? Do we do, we do this? But the, the, the thing that baffles me that I was not expecting is that the more we work on the company, the worse the company will do. 
So for example, I could go and introduce more sales training sessions for our sales reps, but they're already converting. So I don't want to try and fix something that's not broken. I could add more videos to the mindset modules or acquisition genesis, but people are already getting really good results. So I don't want to fuck with it. So where I used to put, and like we've got a bunch of appointments, so we don't need to get more appointments. So like the argument that a lot of people have is like, okay, well now you need to build an ascension, where you need to have a mastermind and a low ticket product. But I think before we make any big moves, we need to sit on our hands and just let the thing run because the goal is 10 million a year profit with one product. And all we have to do now is just continue to do what we're currently doing. And, you know, by the end of the summer, by September or October, we will be doing that. When we're there, then we'll start to think, okay, well, what other mechanisms do we have for scale here? Like, do we want to partner with businesses and sort of do what Hormozy is doing? Do we want to start a SaaS? Um, so right now, like in terms of what's next, I'm kind of just sitting on my hands and making YouTube videos and, you know, continuing to do the things that we need to do, like support clients and stuff. But it's a very weird, it's a very, what's the word? Um, I'm very grateful to be in this position because we've got such a great team and such great systems, but I also hate it because <laughs> I want shit to do. It's like, it's a problem. And is it, um, is it exclusively agency owners you work with or are you like open to other online businesses yeah so initially it was agency owners with the old program um but then what started to happen is with youtube we naturally collected i say collected like their pokemon card we we picked up a couple of clients in the coaching and consulting space who did incredibly well um like really well so like michael behind bahanias is, is an example of that um he went i think he had like 20 grand a month like three months something but we now yeah we now take on coaches and consultants now the the the, the thing is is the the youtube channel the initial conditions of that is agency owners so most of our traffic is agency owners right now um but we still take on coaching consultants because it works just as well for them as agency owners um we're about to start running ads for the first time so we've done this all organically um, without running ads which has been quite fun um when we run ads we'll probably go towards coaches and consultants because we've got this massive ocean that we haven't touched yet basically um so yeah that's the plan at least but so we did. Will we be using like YouTube ads or? Yeah. So we're working with Brian Moncada. Um, if you're if you're familiar with him, um, shout out shout out to my boy Brian. We 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 literally signed with him yesterday, because um, we were like, you know, what's the main thing? Well, we're doing what we need to do to get what we want, but what what can we add more of? We don't want to add more modules because we're going to make confused clients. We don't want to add more trainings. We're going to confuse sales reps. Oh well, we can add more appointments and get more sales reps. So that's that's the sort of thinking there. Have you ran YouTube ads before? Have you tried it? I haven't. Um, Either. I'm terrified. <laughs> I haven't. Yeah. I, I know there's like a bit more of a like a little like a launch curve to sort of get it off in, like, in a couple of months. But from my my friends in the in the coaching space who who just I'm friends with, they're doing like ridiculous numbers on YouTube because it seems like the yeah. scale of it is infinite once you've got it right. Yeah. I don't really want to touch Facebook because <laughs> I've. I think we all, everyone here who's ever tried to run Facebook ads has had some some form of negative experience through ad account disapprovals or bans or stuff like that. But the good thing about YouTube ads for us is it feeds an existing system that's really working. So we can take the main channel, we can run ads from that, um, which which will lead to like, because you know, it's like ad, your YouTube content will naturally nurture the people. So you don't have to retarget them necessarily. <laughs> I mean, you probably still would. But like if someone's like, you know, Charlie Morgan YouTube video, when they click on that channel and they see 20,000 subscribers and 300 videos and this, they start watching, like, we're hoping that it's just sort of like, a, all right, well, YouTube works really well for us. 
let's put some fuel on the fire and see if it gets even bigger. But this once again comes down to the fact where like YouTube organic is a, is very easy to play the vanity metric game where you say, oh, look at all the subscribers I've got. I'm like, I don't care. Show me the appointments. <laughs> like I would rather have 2000 subscribers and get a thousand appointments a month than have a million subscribers and get 10 appointments a month. And when, when I say that, people get confused because they're like, yeah, but if you've got a million subscribers, it's like, no, no, no. The goal, remember the goal, 10 million a year profit, one product. I, I don't care like how that happens. I don't care if I have well, one subscriber. <laughs> like it doesn't matter, you know. But that's that's where my thinking is with, with ads and stuff at the moment is hopefully it does what we expect it to do. And I, I've got a lot of faith and trust in Brian and the guys there. So um, we, we pick them carefully. So it should be fun. How, how old are you, by the way? I never asked you. I'm 24. So my birth, I'm actually, well, I'm 25 in April, um, but but 24, yeah. So what, is, what do you do at 24 making half a million a month? What do you spend your money on? Yeah, so this is a really good question. And the answer is not much. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, go, I'll go down this rabbit hole because we talked about this briefly before, um, before the podcast. Dubai, right? So... So there's a something that I've learned recently is, and I, I never, I never, ever, ever thought this would be true prior to making a bunch of money, but you do not need more than a hundred grand a year to be truly happy. If you can't find happiness on a six-figure income as a young man with, to be fair, I haven't got debt, haven't got a family, so I'm talking for myself here. If I can't find happiness making a hundred grand a year, something's seriously wrong with my psyche, seriously wrong. I'm not judging anyone that can't do it, but like for me, that's how I see it. So I'm in this unique position now where um, I was going to move to Dubai and I had this plan to move to Dubai where I'm like, okay, I can save all this tax, no more profit tax, and I can withdraw as much money as I want and build this personal wealth. Then I asked myself, I was like, why do I want to build personal wealth? Because I can just keep it all in the company and not touch it. Because if if I withdraw it, I'm probably going to spend it. And, you know, there's only so many, many floors I can go up and so many, you know, badges I can put on cars before I start getting miserable. So I don't really spend my money on anything, dude. The, the true value of financial freedom for me is being able to do what I want when I want. It's not about cars or apartments. I do. I wear a $30 Casio watch, right? And like, you know, this, this jumper was like, I think like 40 pounds from Urban Outfits. I'm wearing my old gym shorts. That's like... My desk was like pretty expensive to be fair, but we try to keep the money in the business and my business partner and I, we have this sort of like Chinese wall between our egos and the money. Um, and, and I'm really blessed to have a business partner that sees the sense in that because if I didn't, I'd be way more prone to <laughs> spend the all. But it's the, the main thing is like the client. So I was thinking about Dubai and spending all this money and I was like, if I buy a Lamborghini... Is that, what is, is that what is best for the client? If I move into a penthouse, is that what is best for my clients? No. Why not? Well, because if I buy a Lamborghini, then I'm going to spend all this time driving a car and not making good content and supporting my clients. And if I buy a penthouse, then I separate myself from my, from my client situation and I alienate myself from them. I want to, like, our clients are in the, the business trenches, so to speak. And as soon as I step out of those trenches personally, I'm no longer able to produce meaningful, valuable content that truly helps them. And so 
I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I don't have much work to do. I'm going to buy a nicer car. So I, I think I drive like an Audi A5. It was like 10 grand, right? I want to get a C63 SAMG. It's been my dream since I was like 15 year old kid. I told myself I wasn't going to do it until I was making 500 grand a month. And so I've had the discipline to put off that purchase. The car would probably be about like 40,000 pounds. It's a significant, significant investment that it will stop there. I, I will not, I do not intend to go and buy Lamborghinis or anything. The apartment I'm in right now is, it's beautiful. It's not too expensive. It's a couple of thousand a month. Um, but like the point here is like a hundred grand a year for me, that's all I need. Right. And that, of course, that's all I need. You know, everyone, anyone watching this would be like, well, well duh, but it becomes very tempting to be like, oh yeah, I'll just withdraw like 50 grand and I'll just buy this and I'll just do that. And that becomes a trap. But the, the value, so I moved into this place, right? And the value I found with making a good amount of money, it's being able to buy a kettle without having to worry. <laughs> or being like, um, oh, there's an underground parking space and I want my car to be parked underground, 200 pounds a month sorted. Or, you know, your friend comes around and they haven't got a huge amount of money, I'll pay for your train ticket, no problem. That's where like my personal money goes, but the business money, it just stays in the business. <laughs> Because I want to be a billionaire, man, <laughs> like to be honest with you. But not because not because I want massive levels of personal wealth, but just because I want to play the game. Like money is a is a way of measuring success for me. It's a it's a it's a reflection of the amount of value that I'm able to provide to a specific market. And so like our strategy for, for personal wealth is to keep all the money in the business and to use that money to you know just passively invest it like a four or five percent return. Don't do anything crazy keep helping clients, keep adding value because we could go down the route of Dubai and, you know, and then like, you've got all of this shit. I was thinking about Dubai and I was like, I don't want to live in the desert, right? It's a beautiful place, beautiful people that live there. It's wonderful, but it just didn't sit well with me. So to answer your question, like I don't really spend my money. Like I, I spent, I freely spend a hundred grand a year on whatever I need, but even then it's, it's not much, but it's, it's being able to buy nice food fly wherever you want whenever you want that was the initial plan of building a business in the first place was the financial freedom and fortunately enough i've been able to stop my ego from going too wild um now whether or not we have this conversation in two years and i've caved into that i need you to come and slap me on the wrist and remind me and be like <laughs> what are you doing but yeah honestly dude like I, I anything beyond 100 grand a year for me like taking that out would be for my ego and i don't want to make decisions for my ego i want to do it because it's the right rational thing to do like what would seneca and epictetus do that's kind of what i ask myself basically i love stoicism that's quite a long answer <laughs> sorry no i love it man i love it and i actually don't know that dubai would even necessarily save you money because if you think about it like this have you been to dubai by the way yeah, yeah. okay okay so I've, I've only been once so i don't definitely don't know it like you know intricately but from i know i have a lot of friends who live there and have moved there as I'm sure you do. And <clears throat> what I've seen happen is you do end up going to play that status game because, exactly. because everyone around you has a hundred grand watch, drives a supercar. And so then just by kind of default, you sort of raise to that standard because everyone else is at that standard. And then suddenly you're actually spending way more money due to lifestyle inflation. Yeah, sure, you're saving on tax, but now you're actually spending a ton more money, which is, is like which is exactly what I see exactly you're so right because i thought about this and i was like the the money is either going to go to the government or to my ego and it's better for me if it goes to the government <laughs> which is a very like weird thing to say but like i, I thought if you're exactly right that's exactly how i saw it as i was like 
you know, then you end up like going to these clubs and then you're just like, oh, $1,000 for a dinner, like that's nothing. And then before you know it, the money that you'd be saving in tax is just going into your lifestyle. And then what starts to happen in that position is like, then you've got all these personal expenses, then you've got this status to maintain. So now you can't take risks because you're afraid of losing things. So I like, I, I don't get me wrong, I, I'm, I, I want to be a minimalist, but I do like things. I like the car. I like the house I'm in. I like having like lots of cool stuff and nice things and like reasonable, good, cool, cool clothes. I would, well, whether you think it's cool or not is up to you. But, you know, I like things, but I'm not attached to them. Because if I lost the car or if I crashed the car, it's so marginal in contrast to my income that I'm not going to be panicked or stressed. Or if I lost the flat, it's because it's not very expensive. I'm not worried about taking big financial risks in the business and making big moves or paying my team more or investing more into my clients because that money isn't going into me. So I think like if you look at if you look at a business as a separate entity to its owner, it's like this is how this is a weird metaphor. I'm going to try and exp- explain how I see it. It's like imagine that the business is like a galaxy, right? And the owner of the business is a black hole, and the business's resources are like the galaxy, whatever you want, like stars and shit like that, right? Stars and shit. But like if the, the owner is the black hole, and the, the black hole is the ego of the owner, the bigger the ego the more of the business gets sucked in, right? But the smaller the ego, the smaller the black hole, the gravitational pull is very insignificant. You might take a little bit of like resource from the business, but the universe gets to thrive and the universe gets to multiply and make all these big decisions and take these big risks and expand because the the ego that is the black hole is so small that it can't keep taking this gravitational pull. And so, you know, a hundred grand a year, maybe you've got like a, a pretty, like it's a reasonable size black hole, whatever, but it's not huge. And so like, as the business grows and expands, the black hole stays the same size. And so otherwise, like with the egos, it, it becomes exponential because you move to Dubai, the black hole gets a little bit bigger. Then you buy a Lamborghini, it gets a little bit bigger. And then it feeds back on itself until you can't make effective business decisions because all of the resources and all of the capital and energy and cogn- cognition that you'd be using is going into your personal life. So that's a trap that I've avoided. Not everyone has the luxury of saying they've avoided it, but fortunately enough i've got a very intelligent business partner <laughs> who 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 basically said this like yesterday we literally talked about this yesterday um i don't want to be a big black hole basically <laughs> that's the title for this <laughs> podcast sorted <laughs> Dude, there's your, your, there's your like intro or the short but yeah without context you could really do me over there but <laughs> you get the point we got some good TikTok clips. We got some good TikTok yeah. clips. When when when's he coming on without a face? You know, we can black out his face. When are we gonna when are we gonna get him? <laughs> well Bo Bo is like he said this thing once and it's always stuck with me. He's a very clever guy. Um he's definitely my better half. He said like, I wanna be that billionaire where someone can only find like one or two pictures of me from like ten years ago. So he, he, he'll probably, he can come on. He's, but he's, he likes to be anonymous. He likes to work in, in the background, in the shadows. I make it sound like he's some sort of like criminal. Um, but we work incredibly well together. And, you know, I handle the sort of front end facing stuff and he handles the back end. It's a really good relationship. But like, you know, he, he doesn't like, like, he doesn't like his face being out there. Not because he's insecure. He's a very handsome man, I might add. But mainly because like, he just doesn't, he doesn't care. Like he, he just, he'd, he'd rather be working in the business, like on the operations and building things and tinkering with shit 
than hopping on podcasts. Whereas I'd, I'd rather be talking to you than doing that. I mean, I'd rather be talking to you than doing anything, of course. But, but you get the point. It's like, it, it works really well. A big realization I've had is like the power of like having the right partnerships. It's been, it's been something that I've, I, you know, I bought into the, you know, the lone wolf, do it everything by yourself kind of verbatim. When I got, you know, got into this, the agency space like seven years ago now, which yeah. seems crazy. And and now like, actually, I, f- I feel like being able to double down in your strengths has, has, has enabled us to, to grow a lot, a lot quicker. Um, what do you recommend to your clients like when they ask you that question? Well, I think that like a lot of the time you don't need a business partner. Like if, if you can't get the 10 grand a month yourself, you shouldn't be in a partnership. I think that's that's kind of like the first thing. Like if you can't get to like six or multi six figures on your own, you're not ready to partner with someone because you don't have enough value to add to them. And that's like a bit of pill to swallow, but that's, that's sort of how I see it. Um, the biggest piece of advice I have for partnerships because I got very lucky with finding Bo. It was it was one of those like moments like like Charlie Munger says like life will present you with like three or four opportunities throughout your entire life, and that's it. And it will give you these massive opportunities. And Bo was one of them, for example. It's like it's like meeting your wife. Like Bo to me is like my business husband, and it's like as weird as that sounds. Like it's so he's irreplaceable. I told him the other day he's not allowed to die. It's just not allowed to happen. Um. Anyway, where was, where the hell was I going with that? I can't remember. But the biggest piece of advice is. So the, the primary um, the primary thing that Bo and I run on is removal of all ego. So the reason that we're able to make such good decisions and the reason we're able to, to, to do what we've done, I can suggest an idea to Bo and he has every single right to attack that idea with brute full force, but he never attacks me. So if I came to him and I said, hey mate, I've got this idea, what do you think? He could say to me, dude, that is the worst fucking idea I've ever heard of. And I'm not allowed to get upset or offended. And same with him. He could propose an idea and I could say, that's a really stupid idea. I hate it so much. Here's why. And we've got this ability to, to, uh, to, it's not me versus, it's never me versus him. It's us versus the problem. And so what we're trying to do when we're trying to solve problems and, and va- evaluate ideas and decisions, because we make all of our decisions together, is the other person will always play devil's advocate, even if they agree. And this is why we avoided the Dubai trap. Because we both were really keen to do it. And then Bo one day was like, hang on, why? <laughs> and then it only took us like half an hour of discussion to realize we were making this big mistake. Um, so that's the biggest piece of advice I have is leave your ego at the door. And like, if you if, 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 if I propose an idea to Bo and he attacks it, I'm not allowed to get upset. Because as soon as I start defending the idea, I can defend the idea if I still think it's right, I can push back. But as soon as I take it personally, then the whole thing falls apart. And we, we have this philosophy and this cultural thing with all of our team members. So like all of our team, we get together on Fridays and we've got this Slack channel called Team Items. And basically any team member, regardless of where they are in the company, can add something to the items and suggest something. And then on Friday, we get on and we'll talk about it. And sometimes like it'll be a great idea and we'll implement it. But most of the time, the ideas are rubbish. And that's not just the team, it's me and Bo. 90% of the ideas that we come up with or new things we say no to because we don't need them. It's like, you know, oh, why don't we start doing this? It's like, we don't need it. So why are we going to do it? So that's the main thing that I found with the partnerships is like the the complete removal of all ego. Um, But I got really lucky with Bo. Like we complement each other very well. It's pretty cool. Because I know you've got a partner, right? How does does that dynamic work for you guys? Dude, it's it's funny what you were talking about because I'm pretty sure you said 
you mentioned that in our last podcast about being able to just attack the idea without really taking any offense yeah. and that that was exactly what i implemented with me and josh i said i said the exact same thing to him and it and finding him it's funny because i i have an office here um in this space i'm at with a couple of buddies who are also in the agency space we're just in that in that like hustle mode at the moment and they see me on with josh and they're like how the f did you manage to find him you know how yeah. does he have that that level of commitment how is he and i'm just like honestly i don't know but part of it is that it's just the fact that we have this just ruthless uh honesty with each other and yeah. you know i didn't pro he's he's younger than me so he you know he saw me and you know part of him probably was you know that you know liked my values like the lifestyle and all that kind of stuff so he was attracted but it, it was because of that right and we just have these very very frank conversations where it's never about ego it's always about yeah. what what is what is best to get to the common goal and i think exactly. what what i've found because I, I actually fell out of love with the the agency model for quite for quite a couple of years i just sort of coasted it didn't really do too much mm. and last year i actually found that fire again and the way I found that fire, I was actually at a mastermind and it was basically ha having the realization of, okay, well, what is the thing that I truly, truly just love to do and would just do it for free, would just do it anyway. And it doesn't have to be anything to do with business. What is the thing that lights up my soul? And it was actually, it was like when I was coaching, because I, I coach, coach guys, right? And it was when I'm actually coaching guys and helping them have those like true internal breakthroughs, right? Where it's, yeah. And 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 they their life literally changes. That to me is like my crack. And I then realized, okay, well, how can I apply that to business? Is that possible? And the answer was, well, of course, because in that role of building a team, it is it's the same thing, right? It's coaching. Every day we jump on our calls. It's like seven thirty a.m. in the UK time. They're all there, lined up, ready to go, and I'm there leading them, right? As yeah. as a coach, and that's kind of brought that love back for it. And just for any. And a lot of people I, I speak to, you know, have, have, if they've been in the space for a while, maybe have fallen out of love with it. Maybe, maybe you hit the goal like I did, had the freedom. And then you were like, well, what's next? Right. And then it's kind of refining that love. So I'd invite anybody listening to maybe do that. Look at the things that you do love, see how you can maybe point that at your business. Um, but it was actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you as well, which is how do you view yourself? And, I, and I'll give you an example. I asked this, I didn't actually ask this to Serge when I, did a pod with him, but I realized what how he viewed himself, which was as an artist. He viewed himself as as, a, as an artist, as a creator, as to the point where when he would put his products out to the market, it was literally like revealing art, right? That's how one of the ways he felt about it. So, so for you, like, how do you view yourself in business? That's a really good question. All right. Well, it's not about how I view myself because I don't think the self exists. I think that we're in a state of flux and I think it's about how you view who you are becoming because as soon as you are someone, you're fucked. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss it, but as soon as your identity solidifies, your growth is nullified, right? So for me, I view myself as who I need to become, right? Which, which currently is basically a, an operator, um, someone who makes decisions and an investor and a stoic. I'm always trying, the stoic thing has always been on my becoming because I believe, here's the thing about self and the psychology behind it and how I see it is if you believe you are something, you stop trying to be, right? So I could sit and say like, I see myself as like a visionary or I see myself as 
you know, I, I see myself as a, like a, I, what would you, cause you could say I see myself as a millionaire, but that that's true, but that's not really a, you know, it's not a self thing. It's just an ego thing. But so I see, I see myself at present as someone I am becoming, which is basically like a multi eight figure operator. Right. And that's how I would explain who I current, how I currently see myself. But it becomes a negative because like a lot of the time, like I know that I'm doing well for my age, but I am terrified, constantly anxious that I'm not doing enough and that I'm not enough. And that as soon as I start feeling comfortable, I get nervous and all this shit. So yeah, it's a really difficult question to ask. I wouldn't say I'm an artist um, as such, because I don't, I don't necessarily have that perception of myself. I would just say that if, if I had to summarize it in one go, just someone that really loves my clients <laughs> and like all of my, some, I'd, I'd say someone who is extremely determined, but more importantly, someone who's just focused on the future. It's like no time for now. It's like, what's next? Who am I becoming? Multi eight figure operator with a large audience with a ton of value to add. Um, and this is a thing about like athletes and shit, right? Cause I've studied a lot of athletes and like they have this like non-binary dichotomy that they have to manage, but they, they know they're the shit. They know they're the best in the world, right? But they are constantly petrified that someone is going to come and do to them what they did to other people. And so that's sort of how I see myself. If, if I had to summarize it is this non-binary thing. I know I've got the best product in the market and I know that nobody can compete with the quality of the value in the product. But I'm also petrified that someone's going to try and do what I did better than me. And that that people think that anxiety and fear is negative because it feels bad. But it's actually one of the most productive forces of energy that you have. And it's leverage. Just because it's not comfortable doesn't mean it's not right. And so I live with this. I don't I don't I don't live with anxiety. Fortunately enough, I've got great control over my mind. and I, I don't suffer with anxiety in, in the traditional sense. But I've always got this latent fear of like, someone's going to come up behind me and do to me what I did to the market with this YouTube thing and this product thing. Someone's going to do it better than me. And that fear, whilst some might say it's unhealthy, propels me forward to to be the person who I need to be. So I think it's, um, I think that's, that's how I'd answer the question. I know it's not quite a complete answer, but I don't see myself as anything because the second I do that, I snooker myself. If I see myself as, um, let's take an example. Let's say I see myself as a, as a grinder, right? Or whatever the hell that means, like a hustler. If my self-image is to hustle, then there's going to be times in my life like now where hustling does more bad than good. And so if my self-image at present is, is hustler and it's time that I shouldn't be hustling, then I'm, I'm, I'm buggered because I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing because of a false sense of identity that I've created for no good reason. So I'm, it's not like I wake up every day with, with split personality disorder and decide who do I need to be today? Cause that's just psycho psychopathic, right? But I don't tie myself down to any of these identity statements because I understand that doing so corners me for the long term. So if I see myself as a visionary, right? Sometimes I'm not supposed to be a visionary. Like maybe, maybe 70% of the time I am, but sometimes it's time to not think about the future and to think about the past and learn from mistakes. So I, I just manage, that's how I manage my identity. And identity management is something that nobody talks about. I'm sure you do a lot with like your coaching and everything, but it's very easy to trap yourself, to, to become attached to a specific version of yourself and to defend that even when it isn't the thing that gets you towards the common goal. 
Look at Sam Evans, for example. I think the person who probably did this better than anybody else. Like his whole his whole external identity was like coach consultant. Then he moved to school and then he got rid of his whole mastermind. That mastermind, Quantum, has been his identity for seven years. Suddenly, oh, I'm not a masterminder anymore. He's not attached to it. He's like, who do I have to become? I have to become a tech CEO. And when the time comes, he'll probably shed that skin and do something else. Angel investor, I expect. So you have to be in this state of flux. And this is how I see it. And I think this is also like, I don't see myself as a YouTuber, for example, because in a month, YouTube might be irrelevant. And if I become attached to this YouTube thing and it no longer becomes the the primary vehicle for the achievement of the common goal, then I'll let go of it. Does that answer the question? <laughs> I hope so. Who are you? <laughs> it's it's funny because that's that's the first module i teach uh, in my mastermind which is who am i uh and it's a very long long module which i i don't like to give the answer to um but it, in the, in the same way you know to to give clues to that i just look at well okay well who who are we not and we're not we're not our thoughts because if you've me- ever meditated you've realized that those thoughts can stop for a minute um yeah. we're not our emotions and feelings even though it can sometimes feel like they are you just beautifully described how okay you can you can experience anxiety but you are not anxious it's just an experience that you're you're currently having now do these things affect our psyche or do they affect us on a deeper level if we don't let them go absolutely they do because what most people do is they ignore them and they sweep these things under the rug the only problem is if you do that for an entire lifetime that's when you have a mental breakdown that's when you have a psychotic episode because you're you're actually avoiding and it's a fine it's a fine balance between having that mental fortitude which absolutely can get you extremely far but also um accepting and facing um what is i um i i t- guided at a retreat uh, recently here here in bali um and i have this process called trauma transmutation that i um that i teach to my guys and and trauma has this whole negative connotation Dude, it's around it. the I most think... wonderful thing that can happen to someone like the potential the amount like trauma is like psychological fossil fuel <laughs> like you have there's so much potential to grow from that like it feels horrible and often it is horrible but like as you're probably aware that there's this thing called post-traumatic growth and like Dude, the biggest breakthroughs in my business and my life have been through processing trauma. <laughs> and been, I've been like, dude, I've been crying on my ex-girlfriend's shoulder for like 45 minutes and then the next month I have my best month ever. So yeah, just, wanted to, just wanted to say anyone that looks at their trauma and sees it as a negative thing, that there is so much potential in that sort of ball. It's like a, it's like a ball of energy. It's, it doesn't feel nice and you push it down. Do you know, I was talking to Mark Dharma once and are you familiar with Mark? Yeah, yeah. absolute hi- hero, legend, right? And he describes trauma as like beach balls in a swimming pool. So like you've got all, you've got like these beach balls, you're in a swimming pool. And you know when you try and push like a ball down into the water, like the air inside of it, it actually wants to pop up. He's like, you can push one down, maybe two. You could squeeze three. But as soon as you keep pushing it all down, it just it's all going to pop up and fly up and then you're 45 and have a breakdown. So yeah, sorry, carry on. I, you're making a great point, but I just couldn't help but interject. No, I, I love that example because I think it illustrates it well. And I think one of the, I, I actually think trauma is very different for men and women, by the way. I think men can use it 
as fuel in a much more productive way. I think for women, they need to work through it slightly differently. Just that's just my own experience. But anyway, I was I was guiding these women. I was actually women. I was guiding actually, funnily enough, in this retreat. And um, if you watched it, I'll, I think there's, there was a video. Every it looked like sheer terror because I was guiding them through this transmutation process, and they were all crying. They were screaming, like you said, you know, crying on your your ex girlfriend's shoulder. Which I applaud you for having that vulnerability to share. And mm-hmm. It looked terrible, but inside I actually felt so much joy because I knew that in 30 minutes time, they're all going to have the biggest breakthroughs of their life, which they all did. And so similarly with with this, right, if you're experiencing, you know, if you've experienced something quote unquote traumatic, realize that if you choose to view it as something that is a tool for growth, that is positive, that is an opportunity, then so it is. It really just comes down to what is your perception in that moment. And it is a one of the patterns that I've uh, become aware of speaking to lots of really successful people, which is that they most of them view it that way. I've never heard one of them play the victim to their past. They've always said, yeah, you know, mom, you know, was an alcoholic abusive or whatever. That taught me to become the most caring, the most, you know, successful version of myself or xyz example right so i think i think that's key but then it's okay well how do you deal with it right because then in practice it can sometimes be hard to want to actually face up to that feeling because it actually it really hurts right because when when the thing happened the only way to let go of it is to then ultimately re-experience some form of that to 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 move it through you right what happened to me um is like, and that's like a victim statement, but essentially what happened in my life in the past. So I was bullied. Um, and I might get emotional when I talk about this, I don't know yet. But I was bullied when I was basically in, in year seven of, of, of school, so about 11, 12 years old. Um, pretty heavily bullied, didn't have any friends, probably for about a good two years. And I locked that part of myself away and I repressed it. And what started to happen when I started my first business is I would have these these ups and these downs where I'd be super productive and I'd be on top of the world. And then the next day I'd be like doubting myself and I'd have all this fear and you'd have this oscillatory nature of behavior. Um, and it wasn't until I did some digging and I basically like, I looked at this thing and I basically took myself back to being 12 and like eating lunch in the toilets because I had no friends um, being pushed around and pushed over, like being beaten up, being psychologically abused, all, the, all this shit that, you know, you don't want to go through. And I relived it and I shut my eyes and I took myself back to that kid and I saw it from a third person, from a first, you feel these emotions come up, horrible stuff. But basically what was happening is inside of me, because I repressed that stage of my life. So what that meant is inside of me, in some deep part of my shadow or my psyche was a 12 year old kid who who was convinced that he was this massive victim and that he he hated his life and he was it was all things were awful. So I wasn't conscious because I had these emotions every now and then of like, don't know where they came from, but I believe that emotions are like emotions that come out of nowhere are typically going to be from a part of you that you can't like that, that, that they can't talk to you. So you have no choice to but to listen. Um and basically what what I, I did this with a coach and what, what I basically concluded was that there's this 12-year-old part of me that was repressed. This part of me is convinced that the world is out to get me, that life sucks, that things are horrible, and that I'm worthless, and that I'm always going to be lonely, right? That would manifest in my business 
by me self-sabotaging. I'd get a certain level of success and then I'd break it down because 1.2% of me was convinced I didn't deserve it for whatever reason because of this being bullied thing. And it wasn't until I sort of, you know, dug into my psyche and I basically went back through it and I sort of, I said to this 12-year-old version of myself, I said, look, dude, it ain't happening anymore. Because you went through that, future Charlie put himself through a bunch of pain so he could have control over his life and be truly happy and create an impact and do and basically do the antithesis of everything that you experience. Like, open your eyes. You can, you know, I'm not going to repress you anymore. Come and see what we've built for you. And, as, and that's called integration, shadow, shadow work integration. You're probably familiar with it. And as soon as I did that, it was, a, it was the most painful thing I've done. And like I said, I was, I cried for hours on end with my, with my ex-girlfriend's shoulder. I'm not even afraid to admit it. There's no, I don't think, I think vulnerability is strength in disguise. Um, and, and I processed it. And as soon as I did that, I started, that was when I was able to come up with a vision for the company. It was when I was able to start building a proper team. And it was when the business became about the business, not about me. Because up until that point, all of my actions and trajectories had been to to unconsciously convince this 12-year-old kid that there was no longer any problems. And so I kid you not, the week after, the couple of days after I did that, I, I had ungodlike clarity on the mission statement of the company, which was make client acquisition easy. And then I knew exactly what I had to do. That's when I started building Easy Grow. And it all just fell into place because all I did was I sort of got rid of this psychological burden. I wouldn't call it a burden because it was the best thing that I've ever carried, essentially. But now like that 12-year-old inside of me still technically lives inside of me. But like he's like, oh, like we're groovy. Like this shit is fine. Like we're not being bullied. We're not being, you know, victimized and we're safe and we're happy. And I think that that sort of post-traumatic growth was was the, the key. So I didn't cry. Usually I cry when I talk about it, but I, I've... I'm in a position now where I've processed it to the point that I'm actually grateful for the experience. And if I was crying, it'd be tears of gratitude. But yeah, that kind of gets deep. <laughs> but I think everyone should should give it a go if they, if they feel like it's necessary. Because if, you, if you're self-sabotaging, you've got something to find. You might not think you do. Because I completely forgot about being bullied. Like, I completely just didn't even like crossed my mind that that was what it was I, I was convinced i just need to buy some blue light blockers and have an aura ring and then everything would be fine but you know turns out it was the it was the trauma so yeah man but I'm, i'll be vulnerable with people because like if that helps other people look at their past and think like okay well maybe there's something i need to dig up you've, you've probably got a part of you that's a certain age that is stuck in this cycle with their eyes closed to your current reality that is re-experiencing the same because that's what happens when you when you repress a part of yourself is that part of yourself is stuck in that reality and even though you're not conscious of it it still thinks that life is that way so one small part of you is convinced and that will naturally manifest into your actions so as soon as you start seeing freedom and growth and you know you're no longer a victim part of you is convinced you still are so it will direct your behavior against the reality you're trying to manifest so you're against yourself if you're not aware it exists so anyway it's a very long answer but that's what I wanted to share. Get that off my chest. It was very good. I have to go and like sit in a dark room for like three hours now. <laughs> and that's it, right? That is what it feels like. It literally is getting something off your chest because it's something that was being held. And that's, why, and that's why it feels so good to release it. And to your credit, the way you can use this as a measuring stick to see what you have released is when you can refer back to that memory without feeling that initial emotional intensity. Maybe you still feel something. But yeah. when you can look back and, you know, you've probably maybe you've had 
previous ex relationships like when i look back at um i'll, I'll tell you a tell a really quick funny story i was we're doing some new uh stuff in the agency and we were sending voicemail drops right and the um the voicemail drops that we used to send my ex-girlfriend she was a, an actress and she did voiceover work so she would do these voicemail drops so they started playing and i was like oh crap that's yeah that's her and nothing came up emotionally right it was just yeah. oh that that thing happened right and it was actually a fond experience and that's the way to know when you fully fully process something because a lot of the you know men i work with going through this stuff is difficult because we're so much more logically wired than the the key to this is really actually being able to get to that emotional part right to be able to to have that release um so much so that i actually think this is probably the most important work any entrepreneur can do because like you had that experience once you you know you clear the hedges you can see clearly and you can you can act yeah. clearly i even dude like this is how much i'm freaking into it. i even got this tattoo uh which i don't know if you'll be able to see on my show but basically it's it's highlighting this whole process that i call trauma transmutation and it's yeah. ba- it's basically you know it's it's basically when you go back to that moment right that you know that 12 year old version of you what's happening is you're accessing that memory and now instead of that memory just replaying over and over again you're actually seeing it you're actually being with it you're observing it and you're allowing those sensations to come up and in- instead of repressing them in that moment you're actually being with them and yeah. the funny thing is is when you stop resisting and see them that is when it gets processed because emotions are our energy right energy in motion which just we're energetic beings it just gets it just gets released so it's so beautiful that you that you share that cuz i really feel like this is to to me this is like the next headspace essentially yeah it's like the main thing dude like if you've got shit and we call it shit and that gives it a negative connotation but people understand what i mean like if you've got shit going on you haven't addressed and like you keep self sabotaging yourself like there's just part of you that's just convinced that your current reality doesn't further its end like if 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 a part of you is convinced because it's called the shadow for a reason you don't know it exists but if part of you is convinced that life is awful you're lonely you don't deserve friends you're weak you're skinny you have to eat lunch in the toilets and hang out by the teachers so you don't get bullied yeah that won't hurt but like if you i can feel it now but if you if you're if part of you is convinced that that's how life is then if you try and behave out of accordance with that you're always going to bring yourself back down to that that point but then you both build yourself up. And so you've got this battle between the conscious and the, you know, there's a quote from Carl Jung that summarizes it in a level that is difficult to comprehend with how good he got this. Like the, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you will call it fate. So everyone thinks that, oh, it's just like fate or it's just hard luck that I'm not successful. No, no, no. All of your actions you are responsible for. Everything that happens to you is your own doing to a degree, right? external events can influence you but how you respond to them is on you i've been reading a lot of stoicism recently and there's this 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 sort of excerpt from discourses by epictetus where he talks about having this like lamp like oil lamp and he puts it in the shrine outside of his house and one one evening like he hears this noise and he goes down the stairs and he finds that someone's stolen the lamp right and he basically said oh um the person who stole my lamp has not stolen my lamp. They've stolen their own integrity away from them. 
And he was like, tomorrow I will buy a clay lamp that is less likely to be stolen because I don't own the lamp. And that person's decision to steal that lamp has nothing to do with me because I don't own the lamp. The lamp is a lamp that is in my possession, but I don't own it because we think we own things, but things own us. And this ties back into that Dubai thing where, or, or this materialistic thing where things like that weigh you down. But yeah, that was a little tangent, but I love stoicism, dude. I love it, man. No, I love it. And, and for, just, just real quick for anyone who's, who's listening to that, who is going through that, that challenging time and, and maybe you haven't yet figured out how to actually address that. I'm going to, I'm going to pull a couple um, resources and recordings from my mastermind completely free, no email opt-in that you can just use below to take yourself through this process. Cause it's truly like it, I, I know exactly. I've been through this myself, guided a lot of people through it. I know how painful it can be when you're when you're going through it and so i just want to take this moment to just one thing is like if you're going to do it make sure somebody else is there with you someone that you love and trust because what happened with me um is so my ex-girlfriend i'm still on great terms with her she's wonderful um when i was with her at the time i was processing this in my office sort of doing the exercise i cried a little bit like a little bit like i felt it sort of like a little bit but if you have, a, if you're a man and you have a woman to bring it out in you, as soon as I went downstairs, she was like, "You okay?" And I was like, "Ha!" Ah! And I just like full on cried for like four. She didn't say a word. She knew what to do. She was just, she just hugged me, and it one of the most grateful experiences. I'm so grateful for her for that. And like, if you're gonna do it, like you can do it alone. But if you've got someone that you love you, that someone that loves you, that cares about you, being with them will allow you to release more because you you've got the courage to because someone's there to support you. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot harder to do on your own, I think. Yeah, de- definitely. If you can, one hundred percent have have someone there. And this is, you know, this is something that you can develop, and this is something that you can do over time. You know, by yourself once you've done it those few times, and you've you've had those big releases because you realise that actually there's nothing wrong with it. There's no shame around it. It's just a really natural part of life, and I think particularly as men you know, we tend to have bigger egos. We don't want to admit those things. So that's why I'm just like, yeah, really wanted to play on that point for you, opening up that space, dude. So I appreciate that. And the other thing I found that was useful is, is music. So dude, like when I was going through my breakup, everything was fine. Then I listened to Cornfield Chase by Hans Zimmer, like the interstellar theme tune. I was on the floor crying, mate. Like, And when when I was doing the, the shadow work, the exercise with the bullying thing, I listened to a song called Amber by Flume, which in my opinion is one of the most beautiful pieces of music that's ever been created. People disagree, but it touches me. And like, sometimes if you need to get that, if you need to get it out of you, like find a song that you find just so beautiful, like Time by Hans Zimmer or Interstellar Theme Tune or Cornfield Chase or whatever, whatever your poison is. And that's like, dude, that will just like, I believe that music extenuates the current emotional circumstance you're feeling. And so if you're trying to like process as much as possible, like you can, you can light the flame, you can have the spark, but music is like kindling on the fire. And then suddenly you just, it's all flying out of you. So I found that, I found that to be useful for anyone that's trying to go through it. Oh, dude, I was, when I was guiding this retreat, I ha- I, I used this playlist that I, I actually, funny if I was going through a breakup when I found this playlist, I was on it, funnily enough, on a plane to Dubai out of all places, what a coincidence. Yeah. And and the playlist was called Beautiful Songs Without Words. And this uh there was this one song from I think it was from Nemo or something like that, but in a in a uh 
just like a like a classical version and um yeah get, get gets me going and I, I played it to this group and everyone was just bawling out of their eyes and it was uh it was a beautiful moment. I'll, I'll link it to you. Uh, no, no, I've just written it down. Do you mind if I yeah. use bathroom equipment? when you're having fun, mate. Time flies when you've got all those stairs to climb up now, mate. Now you're there. <laughs> That's, very nice. That's very true. <laughs> so so you, you're there by yourself now? Yeah. So um, so I basically... So I only broke up with my girlfriend like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, and I basically... So she's a student, doesn't have a huge amount of money. So I'm basically paying for the rent at the old place and then also with this new place until um, she gets on her feet, basically, because she's done so much for me. She's wonderful. Yeah, but I'm on my own, which I quite enjoy. It's a weird dynamic because I've never lived on my own before, but I'm finding it to be like really healthy and it's kind of what I need. So, yeah. You know, um, one of my more like spiritual mentors said to me, like the real, like the true, like spiritual growth happens when you can learn to, be by yourself it, it, it's truly when you're alone that that yeah. that, that growth happens yeah because I'm, I'm naturally quite introverted so i quite enjoy it but now that i'm just here on my own like it's nice i really like it dude so let's let's do some uh this time's gone so quickly man i actually had all these business questions noted down yes. i haven't gone i love it though but this is the this is the thing dude like it, the most business leverage comes from the personal shit like get there's people saying like oh charlie like what email copy should i use or like when should I pause on sales scripts? I'm like, dude, just process your trauma and that'll do you. That'll do you. The- <laughs> that'll do you 80% of the way. Just come and cry on my shoulder. It'll be, it'll, you'll be fine. Just, just cry. Like that's, that's pretty much it. Just figure out what happened to you when you were younger and cry about it for like an hour and then you'll, you'll massively grow your business. But I mean, that's, dude, dude, you, you can add, you can add a Saturday call to your schedule. I'll come in and help everyone process their trauma. That'll be cool, man. Actually, I'd like to do that. Like a masterclass or something. That'd be cool. I'm going to make a note of that yeah dude i think i think genuinely like just just from seeing um like what what we've been what i've been doing on on the um, more the internal side and most of the guys i work with our agency owners that's been one of the biggest things to truly go deep on that because this is how i feel about it right once you truly learn to process it to me it feels like an actual superpower because i i know i can handle anything like anything if i was put in a prison I know I as long as I'm like alive, I know I'd be able to work through that because I know the process to to release and and to transmute it. So there's a there's a quote from Epictetus that says, um, "If you you can't put me in prison, but you can put my body in there." Fuck a badass quote, mate. That's, <laughs> it's like you 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 want to chain my leg? Oh, it's a good job that the leg does not belong to me. Like something like that, or you know, if if you if it is your wish to chop off my head, then so be it. But you will not chop off my integrity. Like I read, I read the same book every night. Discourses by Epictetus. Um, but that dude is a different, different breed, man. But we we can go through some business questions, man. That that sounds like fun, dude. I've I've only got got like fifteen minutes left. Um, so I wanted to ask you. We we'll have to do a part two because I know people are gonna gonna want that. But I would. I wanted to. I wanted to ask you a fun question, dude. Because we've been we've been going deep, man. We give, this wasn't fun. Probably, what are you yeah. talking about? We've had well. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Now, just 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 some like mess around questions, you know, just to, just to see like where your where your mind goes. Right. Okay. So, you obviously live in beautiful Bath in the UK right now. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna drop you in Romania. Okay. Mm-hmm. You don't have any of your like financial resources or audience um but you have a thousand romanian 
dollars, whatever their <laughs> currency is, um, and you have the knowledge that you have right now, what would you do to get to a hundred k a month? Very simple. I would use like I don't I don't know how much a thousand Romanian dollars or their currency would say, be able say to it's buy. worth a thousand USD. USD. All right, a thousand USD. So I have no laptop or anything. No, you don't own one. Okay, I like that. So what I would do is I would go to a shop and I buy a phone and I buy a phone book. So I buy a business a phone book and a business phone book. Um, what I would then do so I buy like I don't know, like a three hundred dollar semi smartphone and a phone book and then I'd, I'd use the other money to go and buy like a working like a I'd use the other money to go and buy like a co working space and then like some Chipotle like. Alex Hormozzi style. Well, they probably don't have Chipotle in Romania, but some some form of food. What I would then do is I would open the phone book and I would call every single business in that phone book and say, I will set appointments for you on a complete paper appointment basis through the phone. And all you have to do is basically pay me upfront for the appointments I generate. I guarantee like a hundred appointments and you pay me a thousand dollars, ten dollars per appointment, whatever that would look like. Um, I'm assuming I can only call Romanian businesses, which would be a di- bit difficult because I don't have. No, in that case, I would get a smartphone. And I'd get Skype and I'd call the US because you go where the money lies. So I do that. So I'd, I'd call up um, businesses that I knew I could deliver appointments for that sold high ticket services like recruiters. I wouldn't go for agencies because that would be cheating. Um, and I'd call them up and I'd say, look, my name's Charlie. I am an absolute demon at cold calling and I want to be a demon for your business. I will make you so much money. You will shower me with gold. All I want to do is set you appointments with qualified businesses that need your services and you're only going to pay me when I actually set an appointment. How does that sound? I, I do that pitch to 700 people a day, probably not that many, 200 people a day until I got a couple of people saying, all right, sounds good. I charge them for the appointments up front, right? So I'd go and I'd basically say, right, I guarantee you 30 appointments. We're going to value each appointment at $100, which means I need 3K up front. It's a bit of a nervous investment. So how about we only do one grand up front for the first 10? Sounds like a deal. Once you've got them, you get them in. Then I would just cold call. And then once I got those upfront payments, I would hire other people. I'd go on, I'd buy a laptop. I'd go on Upwork. I'd find people who are good at cold calling. I would then pay them half of the money that I would be making for the calls they set. Then I would just build from there. That's how I'd do it. Love that, man. That's super, super interesting because that's, yeah. It's the first the first thing I would do is go to the phone. Because like, if you're hungry, you haven't got money to eat, and you give me a phone, I will have food. <laughs> There's no question about it. So, bro, I showed your video um, where you talked about uh, you talked about like when you were cold calling, start starting out doing hundreds a day, and I showed that to my team. I've got three guys doing cold calls. They'll they'll watch yeah. this. And I was, and it was like the most motivating shit ever, dude. <laughs> That's it. It's got to like, you've, you've got to be like, you've got to put yourself in like a position of scarcity, <laughs> you know? That's a good, that's a good, that was a thread I wanted to come back to. So we've talked all about, you know, trauma, releasing it, yada, yada. Um, that you've, you've got, you know, you've got those two primary motivators, right? You've got the, you know, the fear-based emo- uh, mo- motivator, and then you've got the more like inspiration-based motivator now obviously both of them can be very powerful i would argue that the vast majority of people primarily use fear the majority of the time for you what is that balance of where where your drive comes from? well you either use fear or fear uses you there's no real in between right so i think that everyone who starts a business is doing it out of fear 
everyone who builds a business is doing it out of inspiration. So you get to 10, 20 grand a month, then you haven't got anything to be afraid of anymore. You start a business because you're angry at yourself. Something bad happened to you. You're terrified of a nine to five and living a normal life and being mediocre. As soon as you're no longer that, you, you, you have this thing that I call a drive vacuum, which is where the motivation you had, the emotion that caused you to take action in the beginning is no longer there. So you make, you know, you, for example, I'll give you an example for me. I started my business because I was very bad with women. Didn't get any pussy, right? Not ashamed to admit it. And I wanted to start a business and make a bunch of money so I could impress girls. Once I got to 10, 15, 20 grand a month, I was able to impress girls. Motivation gone. Then I had my worst business months following because I no longer had that energy, right? So that was the fear. I was like, I'm not going to get any girls. I'm going to die alone. Oh my God, oh my God, I need 10 grand a month. So I fulfilled that. And then I got the girls and I got a girlfriend and all that shit. And, and then lo and behold, all the motivation was gone. So I think like for me, I'm far more motivated by the inspiration side, but I keep a healthy amount of fear in the background. And my fear is that it all comes crashing down. I'm terrified. <laughs> I'm terrified of being outcompeted. I'm terrified of losing my head. The main thing I'm afraid of is losing my mindset or going off in the wrong path. That is my primary predominant most deep primal fear is I lose my ability to think clearly and make good decisions and I lose the understanding I have of myself and my mindset if that goes everything's fucked right so that's what I'm afraid of but for the most part I'm, I'm more motivated by the mission by the inspiration by lifting people up but you have to have fear if you don't have fear you're lying everyone should be afraid like it's not a bad thing it, it feels bad but there's nothing more Nothing is more like, you know, dude, if, if, if I woke up tomorrow morning and suddenly my YouTube channel got died, it got, got died, that makes sense. If my YouTube channel died and I, it was deleted and I had no appointments coming in, I would get on the phones and I would cold call for 12 hours a day, right? So, because I'd be afraid. If you're calm, you're not going to be urgent. Urgency is the secret. So, yeah. So, you said that that primary fear was that it all comes crashing down and, you know, or you could lose your mindset being a big one well it would all come wow. crashing down if i lost the mindset got you okay what about health yeah i'm not really afraid of that what do you mean so so for me my my biggest my number one biggest fear would be like being you know in an unhealthy position where i wasn't able to like function or you know had some kind of serious health condition so this happened to me recently i say happened that's a victim statement but you know this this is something that i've been facing it's long covid so i i haven't been able to go to the gym for the best part of seven or eight months so in july last year i got covid and now whenever i exercise my body triggers an immune response for some fucking reason when the doctor did some tests and she was like you've got long covid you just got to ride out it's really frustrating for a while, but in terms of health, I am not my body. I will take care of it. I will treat it like a temple. I will eat clean. I will, I, even though I can't exercise, I still walk five kilometers a day. I still stretch every morning. I still meditate. So I have to move, otherwise I go insane. It's still my responsibility. But I have this, I don't know if you could call it stoic, but I have this thing, dude, if, it's, if my time to die is tomorrow, then so be it. Um, that sounds really like dark and, and morbid, but it's not within my control. You know, if I, if I, if I, if I went to, um, if I went on holiday to, to Kenya and then if I got malaria and that wiped me out, like that'd be awful, but it's, it's nature. Right. So I, I, and that's, 
It's easy for me to say that, but when I have malaria, it might be different, yeah. right? But I'm not, I'm not particularly afraid. I'm, I do everything I can to maintain stellar health and to take care of my body. But if the universe decides that my time is now, then, that, then so be it. Um, there's a quote from Epictetus that says, I must die, but must I die bawling? Which I like. I think that's like a badass quote. So I'm not, I would be afraid for my health if I was taking actions that led to it being detrimental. So for example, I don't eat sugar. I don't drink. I don't smoke. Um, I don't do anything like, I don't do drugs. I've never touched the stuff. So I have super clean health. I take care of myself in every way that I possibly can. I don't do anything that, that jeopardizes my health. And it's not that I don't have anything to fear, but I, I, would, I don't want to waste time worrying about things that I can't control. I would fear that I lose my discipline. Then I fear for my health. So for example, if I, I could be afraid, for example, that like I'm going to get addicted to sugar or that I'm going to get addicted to smoking. That's a fear that I have, but that comes back to the mindset thing. Because like I said, if I lose the mindset, it all comes crashing down. So my fear is to do with the mindset. I'm, I'm, my fear for my health would be if I didn't have the discipline to maintain a healthy body. But it's like, you know, I could, I could get really ill. It's, it, it's not like, I learned this when I was in, um, my, my ex-girlfriend had pneumonia. We had to go to A&E. We were in there for like five days. And like, that was one of the biggest things for me. I was, I was like, I need to take care of my body because I do not want to be in this hospital. But then again, if I had to be, then so be it. If that's where the universe intends me to be, and if it intends me to suffer in that way, then I will do it to the best of my ability. Um, but I'm not afraid because that's just, it's a natural fear, but it's also not very worth, like it, it, I can't justify spending cognitive energy on that fear. But then again, I just don't feel it. So I don't really try not to, if that makes sense. Makes sense, dude. Makes sense. I love that. Yeah. All right. One last one for you before we wrap. Um, I think I may have asked you this last time, so it'll be interesting to see if your answer is sure. the same or different. Um, so your last day on Earth, it dovetails perfectly from this last uh, topic. Um, you you know, so your last day is very far into the future, all being well. Um, hopefully. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, touch with... My, my lack of fear might, <laughs> might screw me over, but hopefully not. Yeah, no, no wingsuit base jumping. Um, yeah. You know, you've you've achieved everything you've wanted to. You know, if if your goal is to have a beautiful family, you you've done all of that. You've impacted everyone you've wanted to impact. You know, you've hit all those goals. Um, it's your last day. You can't leave any of that material possession behind, but you can leave one piece of wisdom or some parting words. What would you leave to the people that you love most? Manifest your potential against all odds. That's what I would say. Because last time I said. Um, I said, well, the last time I said something to the effect of like, become he who can or become she who can. So pick your goal and build the character to achieve the goal. But I think if I was going to resummarize that, I would say manifest your potential against all odds. Do everything you can to bring out everything that you can be. Because if you, that is your sole moral, in my, in my opinion, that's your sole moral, ethical, like duty in this life. Like you've been given life like for crying out loud, do you know how lucky that is? <laughs> Even though it might suck and you might be suffering, you've been given life. And that is like, and I know this sounds super spiritual, but like that is so rare and so, and you're so fortunate and so like, it just blows my mind that people just don't recognize the importance of their duty to bring that life to the highest level possible. Inside of you, is a huge 
Like you are a bundle of potential. You can do anything you want. To not manifest that in the purest way with the best intentions in accordance with nature, in my opinion, is is tantamount to, you know, being the devil. <laughs> so that's how I would see it, man. Manifest your potential against all odds. You can help anyone do anything. You have a duty to your fellow humans and yourself and your family. Lead by example and manifest your potential. I sound like Tony Robbins, don't I? <laughs> well, actually, I probably don't quite sound like Tony Robbins. He's a lot better at this than I am, but you get the point. I don't know, man. I've been to quite a few of his seminars and his voice is kind of going now a little bit. I think his, his <laughs> voice box is about that that big. What's he like in, in person? Absolutely humongous. <laughs> he is really? a, He is a giant. Yeah, I'd say out of everyone I've met, he probably has... You know, there are certain people you met and you meet and they just have this, just this aura about them, just yeah, this, this energy that you, you you just can't explain it. He he has probably one of the most magnetic auras I've ever experienced. It's, it's a presence that I've never experienced. Before. It's like charisma on steroids. Like, yeah, you just can't he's, take your eyes off him. He's he's a different a different breed. That guy. Um, mm. Yeah, but de- definitely recommend like trying him out. You know, just just to be in that space is is pretty is pretty transformational, I'd say. Um, but dude, really, yeah, did, literally didn't ask any of the questions that I wanted to ask you. But I'm so <laughs> glad because this went in a such a be- such a great direction, man. It's been a pleasure, my friend. I really appreciate you having me on. And anyone who's not subscribed to your podcast or channel is doing the wrong things. Go and subscribe to Ibrahim. There we go. Well, I was, I was about to, I was about. To I did the job. I did the job for you. Yeah, I mean, if you just um. For for me specifically, don't buy anything. Just go to my YouTube channel and check out the videos if you want. No stress. Cool. Peace out. Thanks, bro. See you, everyone.